Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast, episode number eight. My name is Brooke McCallery and I am uh, your host. I'm, I'm also the creator of the uh, Slow Your Home blog and standing next to me at this very moment is my co-host, Ben. How are you? And producer extraordinaire I'm, and husband. I'm very, very well. In this episode, what? Um, in this episode, you speak to Katie Clements. Who is Katie and what does she do? And how do you know her? Um, so Katie uh, is the writer and creator, the writer of a, of a blog, um, The Home She Made. I will check that. And uh, she's also the creator of Gadunka, a... Um, uh, which you can find at gadanka.com, G-A-D-A-N-K-E. Uh, she creates really beautiful handmade journals, uh, journaling and, and getting people to connect with the purpose of their, of their life and, you know, what they, what they prioritise and what they spend their time, you know, paying attention to. Uh, that's something that Katie really wants people to, to focus on and she helps them do that through journaling. So she creates all these different sorts of journals, you know, journals for mothers and sons and husbands and wives and uh, things like that. And uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. We had a really good chat. And um, you did have a good chat. And while I um, introduced some other aspects, you would go and check that website address. Um, uh, I thought it was also interesting in that Katie is a pilot as well and and she takes that further and lives in a aeroplane hangar, which I found very, very interesting. So um, I've got to say that um, she's taking piloting to the next level in that she actually sleeps in an aeroplane hangar. Not sure what that looks like, but it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, yeah, Katie and her husband, Martin, uh, who's a, he's a, uh, an electrical engineer. Uh, they both worked in aviation uh, before and... A few years ago, they had the opportunity to buy a um a airplane hangar, which is obviously not like a, a livable space, but um you know in and of itself. So what they actually built a house inside the airplane hangar, and they they have a, a young son now, but they built a quite a, it's a small home, uh, a bit bigger than your average tiny home, but really a compact space. And yeah, the, uh, I'll link to the uh, to the home tour. Uh, on uh, in the show notes, which are at slowyourhome.com slash eight. Uh, but what they did with that space, I mean, when I think of an aeroplane hangar, it's kind of really dark and no windows, no, you know, light, this kind of cavernous, gloomy space. But the, the home that they made is is amazing. Um, before I forget, Katie's blog is uh, makingthishome.com. I was close, not quite close enough. So if you want to check out her writing and Loads of um, images of, of their photo of their airplane hangar home. You can he- head over there, and if you would like to check out her journaling uh, business, you can head at gadunka dot com. Excellent. And if people want to check out the show notes to episode number eight, where do they go? Uh, Slowyourhome dot com slash eight. Gadunka. <laughs> Very good. Enjoy our chat.
Oh, wonderful. Thanks for having me, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me um, or having t- talking to me. Um, I was going to say good morning because it's morning for me, but I don't think it's morning for you. <laughs> what time is it for you? I just finished having lunch. Okay. Well, I've just finished having my first cup of coffee, so we're both starting so, things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, my son is uh, 16 months old and he's been getting up like 15 minutes earlier every day. Oh. So we're up at like 5.30 today. So usually I'd say maybe you and I are like kind of on the same spot, but yeah, I feel like the day's kind of coming to an end. <laughs> You're hanging out for bedtime. Yes. <laughs> I understand that. We just changed from daylight savings uh, last weekend. So we're into our winter time now and my son's been getting up earlier um, as, as a result. So he, I, I'm an early riser anyway, but he's been joining me lately, which is, um, which is lovely, but yeah, tiring. The days feel very long. <laughs> so you're in montana um whereabouts in montana right i live near yellowstone national park beautiful so lots of mountains definitely a lot of snow and then you know all around us not down in the valley where we live but in the higher altitudes and lots of deer trees um uh you know lots of bald eagles like the stereotypical montana or um, United States animals, I guess you could say, tend to be right here in this little pocket of the country that we live in. That sounds absolutely gorgeous. Um, is it still cold for you? I know it's heading into spring, but is it still chilly? Well, you know, it's always a, an interesting thing for perspective because we are like, oh my gosh, it is so nice out. And so we went swimming at the hot springs over the weekend and there was a little girl and her grandmother and they were they had southern accents and they were just talking about how it was so cold so i think it's amazingly warm but i I guess because i've just gone through the whole winter (laughs) but that's that's funny that perspective is funny though we were in canada um over christmas in the rockies and the coldest that we had was minus 32 degrees celsius i'm not quite sure what that is in fahrenheit but it was cold um and, you know, <laughs> the the temperature hit maybe minus 10 instead and we were walking around outside thinking, this is just gorgeous. <laughs> we had a couple of zero degree days and I'm like, it's warm, it's too warm. <laughs> so it's amazing the perspective that temperature brings. I had to just look it up. So negative 32 Celsius is negative 25 Fahrenheit. So, yeah, I think most people would be like, that's insanely cold. But, yeah, we get some of those here too. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I love the cold though. Um, it's funny now that we're back in Australia, I really miss it. We're coming into autumn here and I feel like it should be getting really, you know, bitingly chilly, but no, it's still t-shirts and shorts kind of weather. So <laughs> I really miss the cold. Um, so you have an amazing story that I really want to dig into. Um, first of all, so you're, you're a fifth generation Montanan. You're married to a German man um, named Martin, and you used to live in Berlin, and now you're back in Montana. What? So, what took you to Berlin in the first place? Well, we were doing our regular, you know, like nine to five jobs in Montana, and Martin decided that he wanted to go back to school. He is just, in my opinion, a brilliant electrical engineer, computer programming kind of guy. And he had the opportunity to get an internship with Siemens in Berlin. So we thought, hey, let's let's go do this. Let's see what you know life in a different 
place is, especially, you know, coming from Montana to Germany, basically uh, the population is for every one Montanan, there's a hundred people in Germany, <laughs> yet the land area is exactly the same. So, it, you know, it was definitely a huge cultural t- transition and it, it was probably one of the greatest things because it taught me personally so much about what my values were, what my priorities were, and, you know, kind of things like who you want to spend time with and what gives you happiness and just as importantly, how you can share that happiness and bring other people more joy in their lives too. Yeah, right. So it's it had a huge impact on the way that you, you view life and view the world and um, did you undergo a big period of change at your priorities? Did you shift a lot through that, that time? I think that I started becoming more aware. So we were in Germany, let's see, just a couple months, four or five months, and then I started blogging at Making This Home. I started writing about expat life. My goal was to connect with other expats and try to you know, tell my family what I was doing and also give this resource because it it was at the time when I started blogging in 2008, people who were blogging about expat life weren't enjoying being Mm. expats and I was loving it. It was amazing. And I wanted to give that excitement to people who were looking because, you know, the first thing you do when something big is going to happen, you go online and you find somebody else's going through it or been through it right and I was just I kept looking for that and it just wasn't there there wasn't that enthusiasm about figuring out your new life and that's why I was really trying to portray that and the thing is um, when I was a kid growing up in Montana my dad really taught us how to be connected to the land so we would spend our weekends outside. You know, we were in the mountains, probably wouldn't see very many people unless they were in our group or we'd be fishing. We'd be learning how to navigate so that if we just went out and got lost without our parents there, we would know the signs for how to get our way back to where my dad was. So I always was connected to the earth, you know, having this concept of recycling, preserving as kind of uh, the town that I grew up in was a mining town. So if you looked out your window to the north, you would see these huge scars from the mining where they would just you know scrape off the earth layer after layer after layer. If you looked out your windows to the south, you would see just these spectacular mountains that you know always just have a little bit of snow on them all year long. It was just beautiful. And so he's always kind of teaching us Try to look at this balance and find where we can live life in a way that can contribute more toward creating and appreciating and sharing that beauty. So when I moved to Germany, I think that was really, really life-changing because those ideas that my dad taught me suddenly became so much more important because you have all these people trying to live in this really tiny, tiny homes because there's such, there's only so much area where this population can live. 
So we were in a 480-square-foot apartment, and our kitchen that we built was 36 square feet, which is just very, very small. And, uh, you know, when you come from a place where it's big and open and everything is just huge to a place that's small, you really start – at least I started really connecting all those different concepts that I had grown up understanding. That's – um. That is small. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I just, I just had to look it up. Also, you know, being U.S. German mind, it's like you always have to convert as you go. And so it's a uh, – our kitchen was 3.3 square meters. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I can see how all of those different concepts throughout your life all started to come together while you were, you had your time in Germany. Um, and – was it um, – I mean, the home obviously was, was very small. But, and that's like a necessity because that's what everyone's homes are like or did you guys choose for to live in a smaller place at the time? We ch- chose to live closer in the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look at the numbers of what we could afford, we had to go with a smaller space. And I, I know we would have done it all over again because y- – Sometimes you don't need as much as you think you need. That is so true. And and oftentimes if you get put in a position or a situation where you don't have what you think you need, you find at the end of it that you didn't need what you thought you needed in the first place. Yes, exactly. Like when you go camping or something like that, you think, well, you know, I could do without these things. I'll try without them. And you think, how am I going to get by without a shower or, you know, whatever it is. And at the end you think, well, that was easy. And then you come home and you've got all this stuff everywhere. You think, well, I don't really need it, do I? So it does definitely um, impacts on your your idea of what is enough and what what needs are and what wants are. Um, Spending time, any sort of extended time in a smaller space with less stuff. So um, when you moved back to the States, um, how long have you been back in the States for? Um, we have been here for about three years. Okay. And you live in an amazing space. Uh, you guys live in a house, but the house is inside an aeroplane hangar. Is that right? That's right. Yes. so cool. (laughs) Um, so how did that come about? Well, we, let's see, Martin was learning how to fly here when he was about 18 years old. And so he was just always really connected to this particular airport. And of course, you know, I've, I, my heart has always had this strong connection to Montana too. And so when we had the opportunity to purchase this hangar and turn it into a place where I could keep doing my work with making this home and with my journal shop, Gadanka. And Martin could have this giant space to do his aviation and his engineering combined. We thought, well, hey, this is really interesting. The challenge was, though, that we needed a place to live. <laughs> and so we we couldn't afford to have a hangar and a house. So we thought, what if we build our own house inside of this hangar? So we did everything from cutting out windows in the hangar walls to, you know, texturing the walls and painting. And it it was really a great project to do because Martin and I did it side by side. We couldn't afford to have, you know, a lot of different contractors and different 
people take on projects for us. So we really had to roll up our sleeves and do it together and kind of combine Martin's engineering perspective with my more, I guess, artistic design side of things. It's a beautiful space. Um, I was spent quite a lot of time last night looking at it um, on your blog. It's so, it, when it, you know, when, when I heard we live in a, in a house inside an airplane hangar, I'm like, well, okay, you know, um, I did not expect it to be as bright and light and beautiful and open as it is. I mean, you guys have done an amazing job. Oh, thank you, Rook. Yeah, my thought was if I'm going to live in an airplane hangar, I'm going to make it feel like I don't live in an airplane hangar. <laughs> so it's like Amy Butler wallpaper. And uh, you know, we, we built a kitchen out of uh, 1950s maple flooring. So it was just adding those little tiny details all together so that we could have this space that kind of felt a little European, but really felt much more open than it was because it's only a one bedroom place. Yeah. But it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look small i mean if you look at the dimensions it's not a it's not a huge space but just the way you've designed it and the way you use it yeah i agree it's quite um quite european scandinavian kind of design in that it's nice and open and uh you know multifunctional as well um, yes so how does that work with your young your little boy well so we actually just rearranged the house mm-hmm. and his bedroom or, you know, the bedroom just became his bedroom. So we are in a portion of the living room. That's where our bed is. And it's actually been working out really well because all of his toys are now in his room. And it's really easy to just keep that be at, keep that as his space. And it's interesting to look at wherever your situation is. And instead of thinking, well, this doesn't work for us. If you instead look at it like, well, how can we make this space keep working for us? It's, you know, it it's not picture perfect anymore to have your couch and your bed and, and your dining table in the same room. But a lot of people in a lot of different countries do that. And they, you know, that was one thing that I, I saw a lot in Berlin. We would be having conversations in my German language classes, like, how big is your house? And some of my classmates would talk about how their apartments were so huge and it was such a blessing to them. Now, keep in mind that my apartment in Berlin was actually like the largest one in the entire class. Everybody else was saying how grateful they were for their big spaces because they were bigger than the spaces that they had growing up in Poland, Russia, Vietnam, Korea. Um, Just really... Like you said, with what we think we need versus what we actually need is pretty profound, especially when you start looking at the like the American or the um, the Australian or the Canadian or the European Northern European perspective of what we need versus what other people consider a huge blessing, and it's pretty humbling. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think we, we put such a premium on space, um, particularly I mean, here, Australia is the same, um, that you kind of forget there are other ways to do things. <laughs> you know, you can, you can get creative, people can share space. It's not the end of the world. It's just, um, yeah, different, I guess, different priorities, different, um, 
you know, different different circumstances, different situations. But um, I, I I really like what you're saying though about cause, I mean, with kids comes stuff. Uh, you can't kind of help that, um, even if you keep it relatively simple with the amount of stuff that you bring into the home with kids. They just they have toys, they have things, they have books. And I like the idea of keeping it in the one space too, particularly when you do have a smaller space. I think that's one way that you can really manage the the influx of stuff. Um, do you guys uh, would you consider yourselves sort of minimalists or you know, simplicity advocates in terms of the the stuff that you keep and the things that you surround yourself with? It's funny when you ask that. I immediately think, no, I don't think I'm a minimalist, but. If you were to obviously compare the size of my home or maybe my lifestyle to somebody else's, then absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's funny. I'm the same. People will ask me the same question. I think, no, I just do my thing. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, you comparatively speaking, probably yes. <laughs> right. It's, it's just what you – I guess part of it is what you become – used to and then you know it's a new normal and you have different ideas of what again what enough is and what needs are and what wants are and it all just shifts over time to where what used to feel like maybe not enough is more than adequate one thing i have found by trying to live in a more intentional more simple living you know that kind of lifestyle is that I find more joy in my life because I, I'm not so caught up in the stuff, in the the chaos, in the push, in you know the need for all of these different things. So instead, I look at the things that I do have, and it kind of lifts me up. And I think that when we stop pushing to have all these things, and instead say, hey, look what is right here, all of a sudden that joy also starts magnifying this sense of gratitude. Absolutely. And you look at things and you're like, I'm so thankful I have this. And it's not just this like this thing, but it's this relationship. It's this moment. It's this feeling. We can so easily forget that gratitude. And I think that for me, that's been the greatest thing of making sure I'm trying to live intentionally is I keep finding more of that joy. Absolutely. And I think uh, sometimes the more abundance that you have, um, the harder it can be to, to keep a, a close eye on, on the things that you have, if that, you know, if that makes sense. That's the ultimate kind of irony. If you simplify and pare back and pull things down to those things that are really important and the things that are essential – you can see, you know, the beauty of it and the, you know, how, how fortunate you are to have those things and those people and those relationships and that space. Uh, and that's, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. Uh, the, the, you know, the less you have, it feels like the more you have. Yes. And that's always interesting too if you look at it as a blogger or anybody who's online and you think, well, this person must be happier and more fulfilled than me for one reason. You see that she has more followers <laughs> or more likes or more, you know, whatevers. And we can so quickly start comparing 
how much joy there is in our lives just based on data. And that data is simply how many people happen to hit like. Exactly. It's it's crazy the amount of um, self self worth is probably a bit heavy handed, but you know the amount of, um, of of weight we give to that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything uh, in real terms. Yet we still give it, you know, weight and importance. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. And I mean, the thing is, that's something I've really tried to cut out of my life as much as possible and it's not easy but that's the comparison game you know um whether it's someone's holiday photos on instagram or the number of comments they get on a blog post or whatever it is that comparison stuff it's just such a trap because it's just this (laughs) self-feeding cycle of um never being content and always striving for more and when you let go of it it's such a relief isn't it yes (laughs) Can you, it sounds like you're thinking of a specific example, perhaps, of when you've done that. Oh, I, that's. I mean, I think probably when I first started writing a few years ago, I really got into um, all the things that you should do when you're working online and writing and you know, writing for an audience of people. And I was following all the checklists and all of the, um, you know, the, the the social media etiquette and all that kind of stuff. Um, and at some point, I'm like, but this is bringing me nothing but stress. <laughs> you know, it's not fulfilling in any way. And living that way, even just working that way, was completely against the stuff that I was writing. So once I kind of let go of the shoulds and the, well, this is what he's doing, this is what she's saying I should do, and just you do your own thing, it just feels easier. You know, when, when, you're, when something feels too hard, as in there's just so much resistance and it's not a positive thing, that's probably a good sign that maybe you should step back from it for a minute. And I found that when I did that and stopped with those shoulds and comparisons and, you know, um, lining up all the things that I felt like I needed to do, once I stopped with that, uh, and I'm not saying it's easy because it's still something that slips in all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just an amazing release. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I find so fascinating about you is that you're a pilot. Uh, can you tell me a bit about that? Like, is have you flown professionally, or is it a hobby or a passion of yours? Or, well, I am a, uh, I am not a commercial pilot. I am just a for fun pilot, and I, I actually learned from Martin in 2009 when we were living in Germany. We came back to this actually the same airport where I live now, and where I'm talking to you from, and. He, over the course of the summer, taught me how to fly. This was a huge undertaking for me because I am not a technical person. And so, you know, things like physics and um, the basic mechanics of how an engine work were really difficult for me. And I just, as I was studying, it was constantly like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. And two things that were really profound for me happened then somehow I, I did get it all together. Just, you know, it, it took me longer than what the, the average person probably needs who's studying aviation because the, the average person probably is a lot more technical than me, whether it's somebody who's in the aviation field or it tends to draw more of the, the, um, the technical thinking type people. So I, 
it probably took me a little bit longer to, to get my license. But when I received it, all of a sudden I had this sense like, I think I can take on things that I was afraid I couldn't. So here's the, like the silliest example. Like the next weekend, we went out canoeing and my dad and I hop into a canoe and he always takes the back seat. And that, so he's the one in charge of steering the canoe. And I always sit in the front. And this time he's like, well, why don't you just take the back? Oh, no, no, no. I said, I, I, I can't steer a canoe. I just can't do it. And we're on a lake, not a river. So it's really easy, right? <laughs> like the only thing time you have to steer truly is to get to the dock. <laughs> and he just looks at me. And Martin's like, Katie, because Martin's here, here too. And, and he, he said, uh, Katie, if you can fly an airplane, you can probably steer a canoe. <laughs> And, and that sounds like you know the simplest thing, but it was it was huge. It was like, yes, I can steer a canoe. I can like you know so all these different things that I was like I can't do those. And I built these barriers. You know we we build these giant walls in front of ourselves and like oh no 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 that's not possible. But the only reason we're saying it's not possible is because brick by brick we made it not be possible. Absolutely. The, the other huge thing that happened while I was working on my pilot's license was I sort of just fell into this routine like, yep, I get up and I go fly and I, I sit down and I study and I have lunch. And you can see even in my tone, like, yep, that's mm -hmm. just what I did. And I sat back one day and I was like, this is not ordinary. See, like... 0.025% of all women have a pilot's license. So very, very few. But this flying routine was so ordinary for me that I didn't remember the extraordinary. And I didn't look at that extraordinary feeling, you know, that, that joy and that gratitude that we were just talking about, because this was just part of my routine. So I was determined to start appreciating that a bit more and really just sitting down and writing about it. So I had this idea of creating some writing prompts for myself. And I thought if I create these writing prompts that really just help me celebrate this cool thing that I'm doing and this, you know, finding the joy and the beauty in my ordinary things. Well, anyway, fast forward and those writing prompts, I looked at them and I realized oh my gosh, I don't think I'm the only person who needs this. I think that there are a lot of women and a lot of people out there who are doing what they feel like is just their ordinary thing. And the truth is that everybody's ordinary is actually really incredible. You see, we all have these rich stories inside of us and these really rich experiences. And I wanted to take my writing prompts and turn them into something where I could help people find that joy and that gratitude and that beauty inside of their days. And so instead of studying as much as I was supposed to, I built my first journals for Gadanka, which is my online writing prompt journal shop. They are such a beautiful uh, product as well. Um, I was looking through them yesterday. So you, I mean, you write and you create 
journals for a whole different host of reasons and people and ages and stages like you've got a, a father and uh, a mother and son journal and mother and daughter journal and a couple's journal and that kind of thing and they all have writing prompts in them that help people explore like their relationships or you know note down things that have happened and um so how many different types of journals do you offer there was quite a lot i remember yes there are there are actually about 30 different wow. journals that's, and, and they're all for different different people, different reasons, different. Um, who do you find is most likely to purchase them and use them? What sort of what sort of person, I guess? My most common customers are mothers, mm-hmm. and they are mothers who homeschool or have children they want to connect to. My most popular two journals are the mother daughter journal and the mother son journal, and the reason is because. We want to be able to connect with our children on a deeper and more profound way than sometimes we can get our children to communicate with us, you know, just while we're in the car or while we're sitting at dinner. So my goal is to create something where parents and children could have fun together and bond together and uh, the parents can sneakily be, uh, you know, encouraging their children to write and express themselves and to also share what's going on in their lives or what they're thinking about. And, and so some of the writing prompts, for example, are like, dear son, if we had the whole day to ourselves, what would you want to do together? And then there are also silly things like, uh, oh, let's see. Nothing particular is popping into mind, but maybe like let's snap a photograph of the two of us um, and we have to. And I'll have like some requirement that they have to be doing like um, they have to be touching. So they could be touching as they're like running through a sprinkler or as they are baking cookies or something. So you're getting that that hands on. And it's so it's not just the writing prompts, but then it's making sure you're capturing these little moments of your everyday life, too. Yeah, and I think that's that's the beautiful part of it, particularly when you're talking about you know doing doing it with your your kids because that that time when they're young and you know reliant on you for so much it's so fleeting. Like my daughter is six, um, my son who's just crawled into my lap, he's just woken up. Um, oh, <laughs> you know it, it's just he's four, and it the time just goes. So I think. Anything that you can do that that helps you kind of slow down and get really intentional about the time that you spend, even if it's just for five minutes a day or however you you fit it in, that kind of stuff it really matters because you you're you know not only committing things to to memory by actually writing them down, but you're also making them as special as they are. Because like you were saying, even going back to uh, when you were your you're learning to fly and that extraordinary thing just became routine so quickly. That's, I mean, that's life. It's what everyone does is extraordinary in its own way, but no one would agree with you if you ask them about their everyday life, because it just feels like their everyday life. You know, so to be able to, to give that time and that thought over to, to making a, you know, like part of it, I guess, is making memories in, in, in so much that you can go back and read through it and 
have your, you know, your memory jogged about that time, but also just the connection that you're having with either yourself or your history or your, your kids or whoever it is that you're writing with in mind. I think that's such an amazing gift for people. It's really cool. I really, I really love how you tie the idea of journaling, which is something that, you know, a lot of people write about and talk about, but you tie it into really creating a, a more intentional, mindful life. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's such a perfect alignment, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I see one thing that I discovered about myself, and it turns out it's a universal problem. When we sit down with a blank journal, <laughs> what do we start writing about? We start writing about everything that's wrong in our world. You know, and the problem is that we're tired and that we don't immediately think of the beauty just, we just think of the problems and that's not the record we want to keep of ourselves and that's not what we want to get out of journaling because you do, you hear everybody talking about these amazing ways that you can keep a great journal but they're just more like have a great pen, have a book you love but I think it's there's more than that and I think that the writing prompts can really help you focus on keeping that story that you want to write down on the ordinary because when you feel like your story matters it's pretty incredible Brooke you know you you start carrying yourself a little taller and you start noticing and you start appreciating yeah I think there's so much to that because um you know when you when again when you feel like what you're doing is just what you're doing it's nothing special you it's hard to take um value from it, particularly beyond the, you know, the everyday, like, yes, I feed people, I get people to school, I do this, I go to work, I answer emails. Uh, but it's, it's what that adds up to. And I think, um, yeah, being able to, to, to sit down and, and just give yourself that time. And I really agree with you as well about the, <laughs> the problems faced with, uh, when faced with a, a blank journal page, because <laughs> almost almost inevitably will write about how tired you are or how, you know, how it's been a bad day or how you feel sad or, you know, whatever it is, you know, why you haven't written in three weeks because everyone has been after all of your energy and you've got nothing left and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, So to have that prompt of write down five things you're grateful for or, you know, tell me something beautiful that happened today or whatever it is, I just think – that that's something that most of us could really do with, uh, you know, and it's the same thing, you know, people talk about writing a gratitude journal actually has a physical impact and a mental impact on how you feel over time. People who um, practice gratitude are happier and healthier, uh, you know, but it's such a simple thing, but we just, we don't do it unless there's a prompt to do it. I think, yes. Yeah. So do you journal every day? Do you write every day? Well, that's, it's interesting you mentioned the gratitude journaling because I do make a gratitude journal at Gadanka. And so lately, at the end of the day, I ask my husband to, you know, I pull out one of the prompts and I'll ask him what his response is. And I'll say what my response is. And so, you know, usually the reflections, we immediately think of our life as parents. Like, you know, you think of a grateful thing from that day that you saw your child do. 
But then we also kind of dive into, depending on what the prompt is, you know, memories of childhood or um, favorite meals or combining the two, you know, favorite meals that our grandmother made or these just little moments that are somehow connected to this prompt and often related to how the day went. It's just a really nice way to kind of wrap up the day and because I'll look at the prompt before we go to bed and just like that's kind of like our last conversation. That is such a beautiful way to finish the day. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's such a proactive and positive way to, to wind up rather than, you know, collapsing into bed or thinking about what you need to do tomorrow and kind of getting overwhelmed before the day's even started, the next day's even started. Yeah, it's yeah. been pretty profound because, you you know, you hear about how, well, the, whatever the last thing you thought about was is the first thing you'll think of when you wake up. So yes. if that's true and without us realizing it, because, you know, sometimes when you're a parent and you're waking up because your child has woken up, you don't have that that moment of reflection so much it's as, you know, like jump out of bed and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that, that kind of – that quiet moment after waking up doesn't really happen very often when you've got young kids, does it? No. <laughs> um, so something I was wondering about, uh, with your flight training, does that help you in maintaining a more mindful, simple life? Because I can imagine that obviously with your flight training you'd need to have a good grasp on your focus and your concentration. Is that something you use um, in other areas of your life? So when you become a proficient pilot, you have the ability to not have to focus so intensely as like when you're driving. Now, it's certainly exhausting because you have a lot more going on Mm -hmm. to fly a plane. But let's say you're coasting, you know, down the interstate and it's just straight, right? You still have to be watching out for other cars. Make sure you're not deviating because, you know, if you're deviating by a few degrees in a car – that can have some pretty bad consequences. Mm -hmm. But when you are in the sky and you've got everything all set, you know, you can, you can use trim tabs and different things so that you have the different elements of your plane all set to coast pretty straight or uh, Martin is pretty straight because he's got so many hours. Mine is still a little bit roller (laughs) coastery, but you have the chance to look out the window and just really be present in the moment. You know, it's not like you can start doing stuff besides being there in the plane flying. You know, maybe you talk to your partner, or um, I, I'm saying or, but I actually can't think of anything else because uh, you know, maybe you, you look at your map to see where you're going, but you're just really present in the moment. So I think that flying really helped me to be more aware of that because, you know, being, especially as a mom, so quick to, okay, I have a minute. What five things do I need to do in the next two minutes? Yes. And we're just constantly trying to pack all those spare moments that we have. But when you're flying, you, you can't do that. So, you know, you can't pull out your iPhone and check your email or make a phone call. You can't start cleaning something. You're just, you're just there and you're just looking out the window. So for me, flying has taught me to just embrace 
a lot more. Yeah. Wow. So, because I mean, I, I, <laughs> I guess it's kind of the opposite to what I expected, um, that it would, it would help you with your focus and your concentration in, you know, life on the ground, but it's actually the opposite way. It helps you to live in the present, which I guess is focusing on the present moment, but, um, yeah, it really helps you kind of stop with the multitasking. I guess yes. it's the ultimate in single tasking, isn't it? It's the ultimate in, I actually have to, have to just do this one thing. Um, and I can't go and grab a gadget to, to check something. I can't go and do three other things. It's just yes. single task. Yeah. And so see, part of it is while you're up there you and you're not doing other things, you really get a good feel for your plane. So you can feel if you're, if you're doing a little bit of the roller coasting, you know, up and down, it's so gradual, but you can feel it after a while. Um, you can feel if you are slowly descending sometimes. And I think that for me, at least it's, you know, when I'm, when I have a moment, I'm just, even if I'm trying to live simply, there's still a lot to do. Mm -hmm. So I still, you know, like, especially with my son around trying to get as much as I can done instead of, instead of just taking a deep breath. Um, yeah, I think that's perfect. I think I need to start learning how to fly. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> come on up. <laughs> All right, I'll come over. You can, uh, you can take me up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you taken anyone else up? In a plane or are you like, obviously there's different levels of, of, um, training, but are you allowed to take other people up in a plane or is it just one other person? As a private pilot, I am able to take up other people. Okay. It's, um, you have to be checked out for the particular type of plane. So in my case, I, I only can fly a Cessna 172. Okay. Whereas say Martin, he was, he used to be a commercial pilot. So he was flying the airliners and so he's got lots of different types of planes that he can fly in. The, the key is though, that you don't want to just like, and you legally can't uh, just hop in your plane and say, Hey everybody, let's go for a trip. And you haven't flown for several months. Like you have to do so many landings and, and, you know, do so many maneuvers on a regular basis so that you can be a safe pilot yeah, I mean, obviously, it would have to be highly regulated as well. But yeah, I I don't know how that would feel. I mean, I imagine it would be so exhilarating. Like you said, going back to what you were talking about, when you realize that you can fly a plane, you know, it must be an amazing feeling to know that, but, and then just celebrate that, that kind of ability. Otherwise, it just becomes, again, you know, the, the every day and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a pilot. <laughs> no, I'm a pilot. Yeah, right. It's amazing. <laughs> Well, thanks. <laughs> um, so do you, this is, you know, changing gears a little bit. Do you have a particular way you start your day? I know you, we were talking a little bit about waking up when our, our kids decide it's time to wake up, but do you have a, a ritual or a rhythm that you have in place that helps you start your day in a particular way? Um, my day typically will start with whenever my son wakes up and so he will usually like come and snuggle with me for a little bit. And uh, he's still nursing in the mornings and at night. So 
he will just kind of we'll just kind of lay there and wake up together, and he'll jump up and go to his toys, and and I'll I'll slowly just kind of wake up, thinking about. I don't think about what we need to do. I just kind of think about where I am and watching him, listening to him. And so then when I do get up and get dressed, I immediately start helping him out, you know, getting a diaper change and getting him content with whatever toys he's playing with. And I start making breakfast. And breakfast is is usually... Um, something like oatmeal because right now he just he's loving oatmeal it's a really easy way to make sure we can all get a really good meal full of fruits and uh, nuts and and just something that's a little heartier because as the day goes on you know can get pretty chaotic but our mornings are just really slow that's such a nice way to start your day we feel really lucky to have been able to schedule a way that morning can be slow paced and everybody can eat breakfast together I know there's a big movement right now about, you know, maximizing your mornings and, you know, spend 60 seconds meditating, then drink a glass of water. And then it's like this huge routine. And I, I'm always listening and I just think, and you don't take care of your children in the morning. Your spouse must do it. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, I find, because I quite like hearing about, you know, routines and productivity and all of that, that kind of stuff. But the, the, there's the, the mum side of my head that's like, wait, how? This doesn't compute. <laughs> yes. You know, for me to get up and, and drink a cup of coffee and, you know, meditate and all that sort of I, I get up at 4 a.m. and my kids don't get up until 6.30. That's the only way it works for me. Um, so when I'm listening to other people, I'm like, I just, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't work in my world. So, yeah, and I find it interesting, you know, the fast meditation and like, trying to squeeze all of these things in. Um, and I, you know, I try and fit as much into my mornings as possible, but the, um, I love the, the slow mornings. Once my kids are awake our morning, my morning slows way down and I just put my mum hat on and that's the, oh, the one okay. thing I do. Yeah. So your, your moments with the kids and stuff is, is several hours after you've already been up and you've been doing yes. your routine then. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. Cause I find during the day um my my daughter's at school she started school this year but my son's still at home um during the day it's just it's it's not possible and it's also not um desirable for me to try and you know keep swapping hats like so I I put my mum hat Mm -hmm. on once the kids are awake and that's pretty much what I do during the day the mornings are the time that's when I work um get most of my writing done that's when I'm recording this with you right now um yeah so I try and get that side of it done in the mornings and then once yeah once the kids are up that's when i i kind of switch gears and become become mum and i that, and it's actually really nice cuz you know you're talking about starting your morning in a slow way and while technically i don't start my morning that way i feel like once the kids are up that's what they get the benefit of they get you know the slow uh, kind of it's not chaotic it's not rushed it's a really nice way to start the morning uh, and I think I like it sets that. everyone up. Yeah, really nicely. And I feel fulfilled as well because I get my creative side has been, you know, tended to and I feel like I've had some independent time, which is really important mm-hmm. to me to, to work on stuff that I want to work on because during the day my time is kind of not really my time. Um, right. Yeah, you know, we, we do So then you can, be, you can be totally present for your children exactly. because you have already checked the email or, you know, done your thing you've done 
you've taken care of Brooke first. Yeah, exactly. And I that's, like that. you know, um, I quite like early mornings. I think next year when, when my son starts school, it'll look different again. And I don't know what that'll look like. But yeah, it's just the way that I've split things for now that really work. And it's at the moment, it's, it's good. Yeah. Well, we have been chatting for almost an hour. This has been really fantastic. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, but before you go, can you let me know where people can find out a little bit more about you and what you do? Sure. Well, let's see. My name is Katie Clemens again, and I blog at makingthishome.com. And my journal shop is gadanka.com. It's G-A-D-A-N-K-E. It's like the word Danke is in there, which is the German word for thanks. It's kind of just a salute to a gratitude, a lot like we've been talking about today. And it's a great name. I, thank you. Thank you. It's com- it comes from a word that loosely means thought or idea. Right. Okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Thought or idea. Those, those tend to be my two places to be. And so. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to swap ideas or anything with anybody. I love, I love just connecting. That's, that's been huge for me. So if you're interested in finding out more, you know where to find Katie. Um, and it's been, yeah, a delight. Thank you so much for, for coming in and chatting. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. You too, Brooke. And thank you for inviting me. Congratulations on the new podcast. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, Katie. All right. Bye. has been another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening